Welcome to Camera Tech Podcast, episode 132, the podcast where we talk about photography, videography, and anything that's got anything to do with any of that. Now, as always, we have a super awesome guest on the show, but before I tell you who it is, let me just say, this is an awesome episode full of wicked, wicked information about street photography. Uh, This can only make you a better photographer. Now, she's on the show talking about her latest book, Duologues. Now, if you wonder who it is, find out after this. And today's special guest is none other than the New York City-based street photographer and author of a new book, Duologues. Give it up for Nina Welch playing Nina. Good to see you again. Thank you so much for having me back. I always love coming on your show, so I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you. Fantastic. That's, I mean, a lot of stuff has happened since we spoke last. Last, um, You've been on the show a couple of times before. In fact, last time um, you gave us some really awesome tips um, on how to improve your street photography, which was incredible. And I remember um, getting a lot of uh, messages after that, you know, when that, when that show first came out. When that, that is so nice out. to hear that it was actually helpful. Yeah, it's, uh, it's great. And I'm hoping we're going to get back into that a little bit later on because um, I have something planned um, for the next month or so um, that I could really use your advice on. <laughs> Perfect. But but how have you been? You've been really busy. I mean, a lot of stuff's happened. Yeah, I, I've i been busy shooting and also I, yeah, I, I got my first book published, which I think when we talked last, it wasn't even anywhere on the horizon. It was this far off dream that, you know, I thought would happen at some point. And it was one of my goals because, you know, who wouldn't want a book published? And so, yeah, so it's been a year. And so since, so I can talk a little bit about how it started, because I'm sure people would love to hear how, you know, how do you get um, to get your book published? So I had signed up for portfolio review um, at Santa Fe, Santa Santa Fe. And so you apply with your portfolio, you um, get accepted, and then you can pick who you would like to talk to. And I don't know if you've done portfolio reviews, but it's definitely a very interesting and worthwhile process for any photographer to do. So as one of my goals was, you know what, I wanted to show it to publishers and maybe galleries or, you know, what could be my next step in, in getting my work out. And so there were two publishers I ended up, it's kind of a lottery. So I ended up with two publishers. The first one that I showed um, the the body of work was like, um, yeah, we're not interested. I'm not going to say who it was. <laughs> and so it's 20 minutes and you're sitting there like, okay, <laughs> so do you have family? I mean, what do you talk about for the next 20 minutes? And then I said, uh, you know, I mean, I understood and he's, you know, was saying this is because of, we've already had body of work, a street photography, and it's just not what we are interested in. So that was fine. And so the second person that I met with was um, Alexa Becker, and she's from Kara, and she really liked the project. And she asked me after the review to send her a PDF. And five days later, she's like, oh, yeah, if you're interested, we'd love to publish it. I was like, wait. I I mean, it's been a long process from that, yay, I'm excited to learning what that all meant and what it meant financially and what it, how much she had to be involved and how you get a book out on the market with a 
well-known publisher. But yeah, it, it happened. So that's been very exciting. So the whole the book is based on um, a project that you started a little while ago called Duologues, which I remember we talked about that a little bit um, in an earlier episode. But just um, just for our listeners and for our viewers, give us give us an idea of what Duologues means and what it's about. So Duologues is actually not a made up word. It's kind of like a monologue. It's a duologue. It's um, a play for two speaking parties. Um, so in, in theater, if there's a duologue, that's what it is. So I took duologues because each one of my diptychs, so it's candid street photography that then is assembled into diptychs. Now diptychs is always two photographs that, um, have something in common. It could be a, a detail, it could be a color, it could be an idea, it could be a concept, it could be anything that I see between photos. Now, the process is a little more complicated than I'm making the sound because when you have about, I don't know, thousands of photos, so how do you pick what should become a pair? So usually it's, I start with a photo that I find is a good photo by itself. But then in order to make this story into this other story, in this bigger story, I play this mental roller disc and kind of think, hmm, what could go with that? Or what would add to the story? Or what would make sense? And then sometimes it's it's fairly quick where I land on a pair. And sometimes it could be 20, 30, 40 different um, tries. And often it's a kind of a gut feeling that where I feel like, yes, this, this kind of works for me. And then also over time, does it stand the, the test of time, you know, like the early pairs, some of them have been thrown out because I feel like they're not interesting anymore. But so the process is kind of like a post-mental process <laughs> because it's not a post-processing. It's this, this, it's, it's this going through all these stories and creating these stories, which each pair is kind of this individual story, but that as a whole, it's still walking through in New York and, you know, there's some photos that are not from New York, but 99% of my walking through New York. So that's a really interesting uh, way of working because you're not, you're not going out to shoot no. specific images for it this is. project. It's, it's more like you create a whole lot of images and then it, it's like this, um, do you remember this game that we played as children called Memory? That's exactly this? what it is. I use yeah. that all the time. Thank you. It's yeah. exactly what it is. And that's, of course, for, for those of you who don't know that game, it's basically you have lots of cards um, with different images on it, and then there are two images that are matching, and the, the cards are basically face down on the table on the floor, and then somebody picks up a card, you see the image real quick, and then you've got to sort of remember where that was and find the corresponding image somewhere else and then put the two together. and then. Um, that's you... exactly, that's exactly yeah. what it is. But then I always, because I stick with the game um, analogy, it's almost this puzzle. So when you start the puzzle, the framework is the diptych, it's the two photos. And then you kind of arrange the photos by ideas, by let's say hats, steam, different things, just like in a puzzle, you would assemble it with the colors and you know what, what goes together. 
And then from this, you start looking at the combinations of it, what would fit together. And so this idea of synchronicity of two things fitting together from different parts and times of your walks and when you photographed, that kind of became the Duologs project. It's, you know, what's really fun about this is, is, is that it really makes you think about the photographs. Because I remember when, when I looked at those, um, at some of those duologues, you know, in the past, it was this thing where I said to myself, well, I've got to work out what the connection is. And it's really fun when you figure out, oh, yeah, it's the color in this one, or right. it's the shape in that one, or it's the texture or whatever it may be. But it's just like, a, it's, a, it's something that really makes you look closer and it draws you in and it, it it makes you stick with the photograph. It's a really great idea. And then also, I like the idea that you, as an as a viewer, observer of these photos, whatever you bring to the photo really kind of creates the story. So yes, yeah, so there are two photos, and yes, there might be something obvious. I mean, throughout the series, it gets more conceptual, and then the conceptual parts where people's like, well, I don't get it. But this is where I think it's really fun that people bring in their own story. And I've had this this discussion where, where when you're a child, you very easily will find connection without trying so hard. So when children are viewing the pairs, or I, actually I had my brother who said, oh, I can't get it. I said, you know what, Where's where is um, your daughter? Bring her here. She was at the time, I think, seven or eight years old. And I said, what are the connections? And they immediately get connections because they're much more creative. They don't think, oh, you know, I have to get this. Where's my brother? He's a finance professor. He had to get it right. And there was no right. You know, I feel like you're you're kind of beating me on the on the story game because, <laughs> well, you know, I'm trying to tell a story in the Three Heads in a Row project. I'm trying to tell a story across three images and you're doing it in two. <laughs> Which is phenomenal. <laughs> but, right. I mean, in the end, it's always the, the viewer who will make up the story. And I, I really enjoy that. I also enjoy when, but I don't know if you have that because you were some in, in studio and not, you know, like a quick second. There's always these discoveries that I make when I bring the photos home. And I'm sure when you shot street photographers, like, wow, I didn't even see that. Because you see something or you focus on, the, on on something specific, but then there are all these other things that kind of come into play on the street. And so often I come home and I discover things that I did not see at the time. And I do hope that when, when people see the book, or when people see the, the pairs, that that discovery happens for them as well. And I think it goes to the point that, mm. you know, you look closer, but the first time you might not see things. You know that that so sense of discovery actually um, that corresponds very well with the the three heads in a row project because to me I ask people to to pick three objects right um, before the shoot so and you know it could be anything it could be something that's representative of what they do for a living um, like I don't know a carpenter could choose a tool or something for example that they use a lot um, you know then maybe it could be something that is a you know is a hobby um, or, or it could be an heirloom or something like that so they pick three three different objects that they bring to the shoot. And then I create an image each around this particular object and how they um, interact with that with that object. And the interesting thing about that is, is that it, it immediately gives me, um, it gives me ammunition for conversation 
because we could talk about why they, what that right. thing is and why they've chosen it. And that's where the discovery really takes place for me because I discover so much about that person. Right. Just by talking to them about the the object that they've chosen, because often, you know, very often, I mean, very quickly, usually, it it gets very personal. Well, I chose this because this used to be my grandmother's, and right. I remember when we did this and that, and you know, she's no longer with us, and all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, you you discover that person, or I discover that person during the shoot, and that allows me to, um, to build up that trust in order to get them to give me these bizarre facial expressions <laughs> no, but I think it's brilliant because it 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 does create this opening to somebody's I mean soul would be too much but to somebody that's beyond the surface that you know in a photograph is hard and especially portrait photography I mean it is very difficult to kind of capture somebody and what's the difference between a good and you know not so great portrait it's such a fine line and yeah. how do you get to that and the storytelling aspect is actually quite difficult. It's, it's, in, in many ways, it's even more difficult in portraiture um, than it is in other forms of, um, of of photography, because with portraiture, you know, we we take a a photo of a person, we freeze them for a split second, and you know, yes, often the the facial expression can tell you a lot. You know, maybe the way they're dressed, the pose, all those kind of things. Um, but more often than not, it's just simply a depiction of a person who is arranged in a certain way. Right. And, you know, putting the storytelling aspect into that is actually quite difficult, you know. Um, and so I find it I find it, more, I find it interesting to tell that story over a number of frames because you Do can just... Do you think just... we're cheating? No, not, not really. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I think... We're making it easier for ourselves or we're just... Yeah, I mean, you know what? What's I think for, what's what's interesting is is that we're sort of we're prodding, um, we're just just kind of kickstarting the viewers, um, sort of creative mind a little bit, you know, by saying like, okay, well, look at that, because that should make you think think about it, sure, um, and come up with your own story. Because the discovery process, and as you said, with the dialogues, you know, from a viewer's perspective, happens when they look at the the images for the first time and they're trying to work out what the what the thing is that connects them, or in the case of three heads in a row, um, the idea is basically that somebody thinks like, okay, well, what what is who is this person like? What what is that person like? So obviously they like I don't know, you know they like, you know they have a walking stick I don't know a, a laptop and and a cup of coffee like what's the connection like who, right. who are they you know, and that's that's really I think that's that's an interesting thing and it's sort of like it's a little bit like a bridge between stills photography and the moving image i.e you know film for example where you can tell a story over time you know through dialogue and all the rest of it but it's kind but, of it's, it's sort of like somewhere in the middle right i do think a lot of and that's actually a very good point the idea of the kind of in between a movie because it's kind of you're giving the first frame of a movie or maybe the first scene and then people can run with it you know, so in the head, that 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 scene is 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 the beginning of a short a short film, a very short, you know, little clip of movies, um, because it's more than just one image. Like one image, you kind of capture something. But this is why it's, I I feel like it it was important to me that each image itself was what I felt was a strong image. You know, that's all debatable. 
uh, but where I felt there was a strong image on its own. But then when you pair two strong images, what what happens is is so to me was just fascinating. And there's like I mean I don't know if I can show I mean I'll show the book. <laughs> I said we'll we'll definitely we'll put a, a link to <laughs> we'll put a link to the book um and where you can get it in the description, obviously. But, so if you Right. But like even the title, I mean it's two people. There is ambiguity because I always like ambiguity. So you you take from this title whatever you would like. Um, yes, and then well, and it's a newer pair, but I just want to bring up. So when these pairs go together, initially I it, I am very graphic and I like the the visual connection between them. I'm just gonna I don't know how that's gonna work, and maybe you can show it later. I'm just gonna hold it up and maybe you'll put it in and I'll talk about it for a second. I mean, one photo is is of five nuns where you kind of just see the habit walking on the street into a darker kind of tunnel area. It was a, it was a construction underpass. And on the other side is this woman that's a soldier. Now, graphically, the white striping, it, it works well. The, the sense of scale, I like to shift scale. But then to me, it talks about military and and being a nun you know the kind of bigger picture of being part of some kind of um bigger calling you know what being the military where where there's rules and regulations and then being a nun where there's rules and regulations and what does it mean and that both women and so the story some of the stories go beyond just oh you know i get it you know then it, it takes off to oh yeah, what should we think about that? Is is there is there something else? Not every pair has that, but I do like when when there is a whole other discussion that, you know, I don't know if people will discover or not, but there are a couple of pairs where that is definitely the intention to to go beyond. Well, what's really interesting about this is that you can have you know just like in this example, you can have um, you can have similarity and and juxtaposition in the same image. Because you could say, you know, you you could say like, okay, well, both nuns and the military, you know, feature lots of rules and regulations. Exactly. But then there's a juxtaposition in the sense that you think you associate right. one with peace and the other one with war. And so they're directly opposed, although there are a lot of similarity, a lot of similarities in that juxtaposition itself. That's really, you know, that's, that's very interesting. And you can, you can continue thinking about that and you can kind of make up your own connections and and how you feel you know, about it, you know, yeah, exactly. you know, maybe you, you, you know, atheist and what's the religion or anti-military or, I mean, it's an endless conversation, but it's just a starting point of this short story or maybe longer movie that starts to happen in your head. And I, I like that idea. And I think in street photography, that just kind of became my passion obsession of pairing these two pairs. And um, it's been really fun. It's it's a really interesting aspect of like you know putting that story element, and it's almost like it's it's almost like a um, it's almost like a who done it type of a thing, you know, <laughs> where you can you try to figure out the riddle, like what's going on here, you know, which makes it which makes it even more entertaining. Um, and I think you know in particular with street photography, in a sense, it really lends itself to that as well because there's obviously there's so much happening. Around and because it's a story. 
But so if but yeah. if your photography, I think, is already a very layered street photography, you know, like street photo, if your way of shooting is a very layered story where you have foreground, background, um, which is where I always fail because so many things have to come together to have this perfect Alex Webb, you know, incredible composition. Um, I think that would be hard to pair because the story is already so complex. And is is already there's so much already in that photo going on that pairing it unless it's kind of like, oh, this is what happens, I think becomes very difficult. And my photos are not that way. And of course you you have you, you have a massive backlog of um of photos to so many to go through. So and we, so many. And I remember, you know, we, we had this conversation in a sense in a in an earlier episode, um, where we were talking about, you know, the way you like your your method basically, or the way you you approach street photography. Because I think you know the the thing for everyone getting into street photography, or even if even if you've dabbled in in street photography before, it's always this thing where you kind of you go out on a trip, you know, you go into town, you spend hours photographing, and then. You come back and you load up all the images into Lightroom and you go through and you kind of go, man, I maybe have one shot that's any good. Like, you know, maybe one. <laughs> you know, my, my hit rate is extremely low and I, and I can feel it can feel quite frustrating in a sense. But then when, when we had a chat about this in the past, you kind of said, yeah, well, that's the same for me. It's just I go out all the time. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I also, I was... When I was talking to this friend last week, um, I said, you know, the more you shoot and the more you go out, I think your your visual acuity or, you know, like what you see, you become much more aware and, and you, 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 you know what you're looking for. But then the other thing is that, and I don't know if I've said that before, sometimes I walk around, I say, I want to find the magic. And in my head, this is kind of this mantra where... Where do I find the magic, that magic pixie dust that creates a photo that goes beyond of just documenting? And this magic is different for anybody. My magic usually comes through light or some kind of um, ambiguity that is added. But I will say, mm, I can't see magic today. And I, I, I will like these photos that do, there is no magic. I'm just kind of capturing what's there. and. I usually try to kind of go beyond, and I'm not just always hope. successful. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I think it's most photography, of the time just... I'm not successful. Yeah, but I mean that's that is exactly the thing. Is street photography? You just have to accept the fact that not every day is a winner. You know, that's nope. it's because because you're not in control. Like in the studio, I'm in control, and you know, especially when I do portraits, you know, I can shoot. Usually, I can shoot for as long as I want until I'm happy with what I've got. You know. Right. And if it doesn't if it doesn't flow for the first half an hour, I'm just going to keep going, um, and until I'm eventually until I've got something, you know. With street photography, it's a very different thing. In the end, you have to enjoy the hunt, or the the search, or the being outside, and uh, it's it truly is a passion. I mean, I think a street photographer because it's so frustrating and so many things have to go right that. Your journey is part of, of what you do more than in anything else. I mean, it's really a personal going out, finding what you find, focusing on what you want to do. 
and learning. I mean, it's really a, a it's a lot of learning. You know, it's. I was thinking about this. Um, I've really, I've been thinking about this actually for pretty much the most part of this year because it's you know I got into um, doing a little bit of street photography early on in the year and and then I kept thinking well what what is the thing that's holding me back and actually I've, I found the thing that's holding me back the most is the fact that I have to you know it's quite a drag getting into town like I live a little bit outside of London so from the very very fringes um, the suburbs of the suburbs I would call them. Um, and, you know, I have to get on the train, like on the, on the underground and then, you know, ride into town and then get out and, and then ride back. And so to me that, you know, it's been, it's been the journey aspect of actually getting that as that was the thing that's been holding me back. However, now that we're coming to the end of 2022, I've already been thinking about my like new year's, um, what's the word? Like my new year resolution my, my resolutions. That's right. Yeah. My new, my new year resolutions for 2023. And here's the thing. Um, I figured that if I can make traveling into London, into town, fun for myself, that I'm much more likely to actually just take my camera, like a small camera. We had a, we had a conversation just before we went <laughs> on air. We had a conversation about cameras. We, we, we can talk about that in a second. But um, I have a little uh, Fuji X100F that I love to bits. And so the idea is basically, you know, I'll take that, nothing else, no extra lenses, nothing no other stuff, and um, and I, I go into town and I just enjoy an afternoon or or you know a Saturday or whatever doing some street photography. Now, I found a way to make traveling into town fun because I've just recently bought a Vespa. Now that is <laughs> awesome. It's super fun, um, and I've I've done. I used to have a Vespa. Oh really? <laughs> Most people I did. My sister still has that. It was this orange oh, red. Vespa that still is running. I mean, oh, this is this is nineteen eighty two. Wow, it's okay. the best. It's so fun, but great. be careful. Yeah, it is super fun. Um, so I did. Um, I went into town. I think four or five times over the last uh, month or something to to do some shoots in in town. And I have to say, it was amazing. It's really a way to actually make the journey a fun part of the day. Um, although it's getting colder now over here, so I'll of probably course, have to layer. Of course, but, I would like to challenge you that I bet you could do street photography wherever you are. So yes. I believe <laughs> okay. that you could just, I mean, if you live in a more a little bit suburban where there's maybe not as many people on the street, but if you go to where there's some stores, I mean, I'm sure there's some area where there is people, it's a little scarier. Because people, you're much more visible and kind of, you know, uh, <laughs> in there or, you know, people can see you and it's like, what? Are... But I bet you can do this in your neighborhoods. I have done this in Schweinfurt, where I'm from, where, you know, I didn't think it would be possible, but I kind of picked a spot where there was good light and people just kind of walked by that looked at me like, what is she doing? There's not a lot of street photographers. I might be the only one. I mean, I'm not sure. But I, I challenge you. The okay. next time we talk, I want you to go to whatever place it is. So it's five minutes, take 20 minutes, take 30 minutes and just kind of shoot for 30 minutes. Well, okay. Challenge is accepted. Absolutely. 100%. <laughs> <laughs> 
I think you will do well. I think you'll be surprised how how nice it is to kind of just get your camera. Because I think, yes, I think I like street photography because I can take my little tiny camera and walk out and I can do it for an hour. There's not, no preparation. There's no mental, how do I get there? What do I do? I get on the subway. I walk. I walk in my neighborhood during Corona. It, You'd be surprised. Yes, you have to take out that, that travel time. And of course, you know, the, I think the other thing that, that holds people back sometimes is, is just the thought that, you know, oh, well, I've got to take, you know, a camera body and I've got to take like at least three different lenses and all that kind of stuff. And, um, and that's not necessarily true because I know that you predominantly, what do you use when you when you shoot? The X100V. Fantastic. Tiny, Absolutely. tiny Fuji camera body. All I take, people think I'm, you know, a tourist if I'm in town in New York. In New York is easy in terms of, being invisible and people not caring or less caring. But even in, in, in Germany, in a small town where I'm standing there with a little camera and people look curious, people look like, what is she doing? But nobody really had, nobody said anything to me. I was actually very surprised. And so I really think if you take your little camera and go into town where the bakery is or you know where you do your grocery shopping, Take the camera and stand there in a good light for 20, 20 30 minutes and, and see how it works. I think you'd be very surprised. So do you prefer shooting in, let's just say, bright sunlight where you have like really high contrast between shadow and and um, and sun, you know, sunny areas? Or do you prefer like an overcast kind of sky? I would always prefer the contrasty time because I think between the shadows and what happens to people with hands and is to me always 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 more magical now in order to not limit my day to just going out shooting on sunny days I will shoot on days where it's overcast but then I have to look for more interesting characters gestures because the photo is much more about what what's in front of you so it would it will be a close-up portrait or somebody smoking or it, it it it's a different kind of a shot i don't think it's as magical it's a different magic yeah. although you know very rainy days could could be interesting for example rainy days are great hmm. rainy days are great snowy days are great but that adds that kind of layer of of ambiguity to your to your shot yeah, I was driving into town uh, the other day, actually on the Vespa. Um, I remember, and um, it's very early in the morning, and it was it was foggy as hell. It was like it's, it's got to the favorite. point where I was thinking, I love foggy day. It looked great. The light was amazing. Um, it was you know I was slightly distracted by the fact that I you know my visor was like fogging up, yes. and I'm thinking, and at one point I'm thinking, hang on, is this is this my visors or is it actually foggy? And then it's like, oh no, it is actually foggy. <laughs> No, my visibility wasn't great, so I was concentrating quite hard on staying on the bike. <laughs> but, of course, you know. now I'm thinking, oh, you know what? If you have a foggy visor, you could use that and shoot through that. And like, how could you use that to to create some kind of? But you know, I I take off on things. But yes, um, fog amazing. Love fog. I don't get that a lot in the city. I think you have to be able to kind of adapt to any kind of situation and then find the way you can see in that. I think I think is the bottom line. 
and it just i mean it, it just you know comes back to um to that you know you're taking up any opportunity you get to shoot rather than rather than letting the weather dictate because i mean you know depending on where you live i mean if you live in in, in southern california then you know harsh sunny lighting might be a daily occurrence but certainly here in london you know you could probably count right, the days in like one right. end <laughs> right but so yeah i i mean i would say always contrasty but then you know contrasting light i rarely go out very early because i usually do my work from home in the morning but sometimes i go out early or or a doctor's whatever and i think wow that early morning winter sunlight is incredible just like the afternoon sunlight in the summer but the summer uh, the winter's um light in the morning is incredible the shadows are long the the it's filtered it's beautiful i mean i obviously i can't get very excited about light but <laughs> and also you don't you, well. you don't have to get up that early in the winter either that's the other advantage of yes. but your days cut very short um, yeah. during the day and i don't like shooting with a flash but i've done that too like i just took my flash and um to shoot on a subway nostalgia ride in new york and I usually do not use a flash, but the X100V actually has a little fill flash. And it actually just gave it enough light to not be so dull on the subway. Um, but yeah, that that makes you more visible. Again, that's 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 a whole other level of comfort with with people and being outside. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a very fine line between um, staying invisible when you're doing street photography and and actually getting close enough into somebody's face to do any close-up shots because the with the camera that you're using that has the equivalent of a 35 millimeter fixed lens so there's no you can't just put it actually no you can put a there's a fuji do make like a, a teleconverter i think that you can you can screw on the top in theory but no we're going close we're going close yeah no, <laughs> we're going close. We're getting close. We're, it's like when, when people's like, oh, do you crop your photos? I said, you know what? M many times or often, I can't crop because I am so close that whatever is in my frame cannot be cropped. Because all the fragments that are in that shape, they need to be there. Which, you know, you don't have the luxury. If I have a much wider shot, if I'm more distance, I can kind of crop it I can you know I can rotate it a little bit when you close there is no more cropping or minimally which is also an interesting learning learning um, experience yeah absolutely the closer yeah. you get for sure yeah I get that's that's where the that's where the confidence comes in I suppose or your comfort level and I had I went shooting for the I usually don't go out with um, other photographers shooting it's a lot easier street photography is a very kind of on your own venture usually but uh, a friend of mine wanted to go out and I said sure that'd be great and he was with a long lens and I was with my with my Fuji and I said wow for you what we're looking at the same thing for me to get that same shot I'm going to show you how close I'm getting and I ran ahead of him I don't even know how many feet. I mean, it was like half a block where I ran and I was on top of these people and he were somewhere behind. And he said, you know what, you're shooting. I would never shoot like this. I'm more of an observer. I like to observe and I'm much more kind of active and in the scene. And he liked to be back. And that's just how we both saw 
the same subject. Yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting uh, medium. I think, you know, street photography is one of these things that I've always found super interesting and super fascinating. Um, and it's this, there's always been some, a certain attraction for me personally, you know, to get into that style of, of shooting. Um, it's, I think it's mainly because 90% of what I do is very controlled. You know, I control the lighting, I control right. the pose, I can control the, the background, I control the props, everything that's in the shot. Um, and street photography seems so uncontrollable at first sight. But then, of course, you are controlling things by deciding how close you you get to something or by waiting, for instance. That's, that's a big one. I remember when we spoke last, you know, and one of the things that really struck me is like how, how sometimes you just you know, you pick a spot and then you just have to wait, you know, if you like the light and you just, you know, you just wait for a subject. Some magic, right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I love it just because there is no setup involved hmm. and it's spontaneous and you can go out. And I, you know, I, I have taken the kind of spontaneous shooting to another level because I, there's no planning. And there's so many subjects that are out for you to take or for you to observe or for you to capture that how how wonderful is that? At least to me. And you know, I think this is the attraction to to a street photographer to figure out this puzzle of a world around you and capturing it in, in this in in this frame and, and and placing some your own order on this frame. And I think that's why people love it. And you're in the present. Like you really, really need to be fully focused on what's happening around you. So I think self one off. And I, I was telling somebody, I'm actually very noise sensitive. Like I don't love a lot of noise and it's funny because I live in New York. And when I, let's say I would go to the theater at Times Square, I, it's so much going on and it's overwhelming. When I go to Times Square with my camera, I don't hear it. Or it doesn't bother me. It kind of I focus on seeing the people. I I'm kind of observing. I'm I'm anticipating what's going on. The noise does not bother me. That's actually you know creatively that's a great place to be. Is that that point where you filter out everything else and you get that tunnel vision, um, and and nothing else that's around you starts bothering you and you can you can completely entirely just get into that one thing and into that one moment. That's a that's that's just that's a great place creatively that's you know um that happens in music too for example um you know when you're improvising sometimes or i remember um a really good example for that is actually when i i played at my my dad's funeral and um despite the fact that i was very apprehensive of having to play at my own dad's funeral because i actually thought i wasn't gonna make it through that <laughs> performance um what actually happened was that there was so much anxiety beforehand and of course stress and you know because every, everything else that right. was going on so um, much. that when i picked up my guitar and i really didn't want to do it by the way but when i picked up my guitar and i i i picked um a canadian folk song which i thought was just it fitted the, the occasion um from the first note that I played to the last note that I played, it was like a complete bubble around me. All the people that were sitting in the in the chapel disappeared, 
all the stress, all the other things, everything else just completely disappeared. And I, I managed to place the whole thing in a complete, complete bubble. Um, and whilst before that, I thought that was going to be the hardest moment of the whole funeral and this whole day, it actually turned out to be the best part of it because it was, those were like the three and a half minutes or something where I could forget and I right. literally forget everything else that was going on. It was just, you know, it was just like, that sort of tunnel vision type of thing. So I think creatively, once, once you get into that, that's just a perfect place to be. And I think straight, and I think it's harder with portrait photography maybe because you're continuously kind of interacting, but kind of the walking and, and it's not true that I'm not interacting. I mean, I actually like interacting with people, but it kind of, you know, that, that it's the anticipation and looking ahead of what could be or what you think could happen or the light like there's a lot in street photography so to the point of compliment you learn a lot of it is and i think a lot of street photographers talk about this it's like i'm anticipating where this person is going to go so like i will see a person and i'm anticipating you know what this person is going to walk there and i see this light so if i position myself but that's a lot of kind of thinking ahead and knowing what you're looking for I will run to that spot and kind of wait for that person to come. But I already in my head planned out this shot. Might not work out. I might be too slow. They might turn right or left. But there's this kind of planning that that I take. You know, it's like that's like the balloon shot that I think we talked about in an earlier podcast, where it was all about the light. But I kind of anticipated then that I, once I saw that the light hit and I discovered that in that second, I knew that that was important. And that comes, I think, with a lot of experience. So unless you go out and shoot and shoot and shoot, this will not happen because you don't have these tools that you already discovered on, on earlier failures. I think that's a really good point. It's learning through failure is such a such an important, um, important aspect. Um, right. When you go home, it's like, oh, damn, why didn't I? But that becomes part of your repertoire of like the next time hopefully you remember oh yeah you know what oh yeah i need to get this right but i need to th this needs to happen for for the photo to improve yeah well that's i mean that, but that's, that just comes with experience absolutely and again there's there's a perfect parallel in music you know um you, that's how you learn how to how to play through failure you know you go over it again um you think about okay what went wrong here you do it again improvisation is the same thing Except, of course, we always say, if you play the wrong note, play it again and pretend it's jazz. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure how we're going to do this in photography, but you, know what? you exactly. take multiple shots. Yeah, yeah. You take multiple it's... shots and then you hope for the best. <laughs> you know what? And honestly, you lose a shot. There's plenty of more. Like, don't think about the shot you didn't take. Go on and shoot something else. Because there is always something else. Isn't it interesting, though, to think that, I mean, of course, in the digital age, this is really easy because we could take thousands of shots and then, right. you know, but I'm just thinking like in the in the film days, like it's it's very interesting to think of that as a limitation to have, what is it, 36 frames on a roll of film, for example, and you kind of go, okay, well, that's what I've got. So, and I've got three rolls of film, so I'm already Large. limited. Absolutely. Really hard. I think we got yeah. as a class assignment once, we were only allowed to take 10 shots for the week. And of course, we all cheated because, you know, but if we would have taken the 10 shots for time, like 
you know, with digital, you can't really, you have to, it was an honor system. But that's a very different shooting. That is really hard. It's but, all hard, but it's it, all wonderful. And, but you know, what is really, uh, what, what is actually wonderful is, is that you can put these limitations on yourself and, and it just makes it interesting. Like, for example, you know, we're talking about um, the Fuji X100 series uh, with a fixed lens. That immediately is a, is a limitation because now you can't change different lang- uh, lenses and you can't use different focal lengths, but you're limited to this one focal length and that is just what it is. And if you want to get closer, you're going to have to walk in and, you know, walk closer and, and get that shot. Um, and likewise, you can't zoom out. You're going to have to step backwards. So it limits you in what you can do. But the, in, in that limitation, um, that's sometimes where, where the art actually is. You know, that's what kind of pushes you forward. Um, you know, I love limitations because I think when it's oh, when when the world is your oyster, it's too overwhelming. And then yeah. you can kind of create your own voice because then it's like, what voice are you going to listen to? What sound is it that, that you're going to make? I think it's hard. I think the more limitations you give yourself, especially in the beginning, the the easier it will be to to get to a level where you're happy with your work. So limitations can be a really great thing, but it can also be somewhat confusing. Um, I went to Germany over the summer and I took my little uh, X100F um, and what I did was I set up two color profiles um, because it's fun. You can do that with... with, um, the Fuji X series, you can come up with your own little um, color profiles that you can apply to to JPEG. Um, and I thought, well, okay, I'm not going to shoot RAW, I'm just going to shoot JPEGs because that's another limitation. I mean, there's always a RAW behind it if I need it. Right. Um, but um, I came up with these two color profiles, a black and white profile and a color profile. And I thought, okay, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go out and only shoot black and white images on that particular day. And the problem that I had was I'd come back, I would look at a, at a scene and I would think like, oh man, the sky, the color in the sky is amazing. That really, I really need to use the color profile here. And so I did. So I ended up flip-flopping back and forth between the two. And I remember flying home thinking, you know what, this really didn't work for me at all. I need to actually limit limit myself even more. I need to say, well, no, I'm not going to have a, a black and white and a color profile. I'm only going to have a black and white profile, and that is it. And I'm not even so. There's no, you know, so the thought of like, ooh, there's a cool color in there, or or the sky is, you know, has a cool color that really shout, you know, it really needs the color profile. If you take that choice away, you're not even, well, then you're not even you don't even end up thinking about it. So you're not wasting any time thinking about if that makes any sense no it makes total sense but then i guess i go back and forth between black and white and color and there are certain photos where i just know that but again because of the high contrast the high contrast just really works well in the black and white and it kind of minimizes it it gives it that minimal feeling and you know you still see the background but your your eye focuses your eye focuses in a photo on the lightest part like that's what you're drawn into. So in whatever photo you're you're printing or if you're printing or that's where you're looking. So I kind of can control what you're looking at. It's all about kind of, you know, like getting the viewer to kind of see what you want them to see. And so you make the choice of how you're doing this. So 
if you do it with color, I think it's fine. But sometimes it is a red pop that, you know, that makes the photograph. Exactly. Do you shoot, like when you go out shooting, do you, do you normally, I mean, do you apply a profile? Or do you shoot, um, I shoot, do you shoot everything in color and then convert I it I shoot later? everything in a raw file. Right. And then I convert it. And I've learned very quickly. And uh, I do a Lightroom quick adjustment. And then uh, I will do some, like there's certain things that I don't like doing in Lightroom. For example, if there's dust or pieces that need to be removed, I find the 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 Photoshop is so much better. Um, but I've learned to do most of it in Lightroom. Yeah, Lightroom has come on in leaps and bounds with like yes. the new masking features. Yes, Just, it's getting so much easier. Yeah, it's getting so very much close. The masking has made has made a big, 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 big difference. So if you haven't tried it, it needs to be tried. But yes, but so it's. I think it's all in in the end. It's all about you want to show where you're looking, if that makes sense. Like, I want you to see what I'm seeing, and I am seeing contrasting stripes or lights or whatever I am looking at. And if, if you see that, the same thing I see, you know, I was successful in, in telling you my story, going back to the storytelling. But, you know, somehow you need to kind of filter your, your eye into this photograph. So if you could give me one tip for something to do or look out for on my street photography trip that's coming up in the next in the next few weeks what would it be i think look for an area where the light and the dark meets so because then the person that kind of walks into the light if you if you expose for the light area the rest will kind of be dark and that creates this order in a photograph. I mean, that I think is like such a easy kind of setup for people that don't know how to kind of put an order into that frame. That creates, and ideally there's some kind of triangle where it meets, or it could be, it could be further away, it could be closer, you could do close-ups of the face, or you could just step back and kind of have people walk in and out of that. But these transition areas, I think help to create this order very easily if you expose it right and manually expose. Excellent. So, how do you? Because um, we were talking before before we came on, we were talking a little bit about zone um, zone focusing. And yeah, I remember you said um, you you don't particularly like that technique. How do you normally focus? I am on autofocus, but I have really bad eyesight. Mm -hmm. So I rely on and folk um the Fuji has a really good. But also when when I shoot in these very high contrast areas, I sometimes shoot at F sixteen. I know we were gonna talk technical, but I will shoot in an F sixteen. So the and I know it's like it's you sh you know, F eight because that's where your lens is kind of the sharpest. Eh. I wasn't trained as a photographer, so I kind of do what works for me. <laughs> so I really will shoot at F sixteen. A lot. And I will have my ISO, you know, never at 100, it's at 400. For me, it's more important that I get that crisp shadow, but don't overexpose the highlights. And I think I talked about this before, that mm. when your highlight is overexposed, the, 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 the shot is, is done. Yeah. So it's you're garbage. exposing for the highlights, basically. For the highlights. And then everything else, and that's what kind of creates the order. 
because it falls the, the the shadows will fall into dark and all of a sudden your 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 order in your photo if that's what you're looking for it is very sim it's simplified okay well i'll take that as a challenge that's what i shall be trying <laughs> incidentally <laughs> incidentally so i mean as we're recording this this is um what day is it today it's tuesday today so this um this will obviously if you're listening to this episode on the day of its release it'll be thursday so we're recording this a few days before that um but i'm planning on going into london uh, for some street photography uh, over the next few weeks um if you're interested if you are in the area um, if you're interested in joining me, then uh, just either hit me up on um, all the all the social channels, Camera Shake Podcast on Twitter, uh, Shake Camera actually on Twitter, um, or Instagram, Camera Shake Podcast, Facebook, wherever. Um, actually, that brings me to another thing. So one thing we do, uh, we, I started doing um, in the, in the episode is a listener shout out. And so today I've got a listener that I that I want to shout out. Now this week's shout out goes to Will Griffiths or Will Griff Photography and um, because Will has become the 500th subscriber to the Camera Shake Podcast YouTube channel. Uh, Will, awesome. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening to my plea <laughs> and subscribing to the to the YouTube channel. That's uh, fantastic. 500 subscribers. Um, and what, you know, I know we're not a huge YouTube channel with like thousands or hundreds of thousands of subscribers, um, but each one of, of you out there who have subscribed to the channel are, are very, 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 very much um, appreciated. You're definitely, definitely an elite group of people out there. Um, that being said, if you are listening to the audio version of this podcast um, and you haven't checked out the YouTube version over on, on YouTube, then uh, please do so. And uh, when you're there, just hit that subscribe button because, you know, it really does help us out. Um, and if you are watching this on YouTube and you haven't subscribed yet, then what are you doing? You're going to have to clearly subscribe. So, you know, that helps us out. So thank you very much, uh, Will. Awesome. Uh, Will Griff, well, Will Griffiths is a Liverpool-based uh, photographer, um, as I found out by looking at his awesome Instagram. So, yep, I've got to put his details in the um, in the show notes as well. So check that out. Super awesome. Thank you, Will, very much. And um, great. Thank you for subscribing. Anyway, there we are. That's this week's um, listener shout out. Love doing that. <laughs> And if you know, again, if you're listening and uh, you want me to shout you out, then uh, just send me a message or, you know, or get in touch. That'd be awesome. So yeah. Anyhow, so your book Dulux is available. Uh, where can people get it? Well, it's available in Europe. You can get it through the publisher. You can, you can contact me. I have copies um, that I sign. I have some sitting in Europe. So if you contact me, I will happily send signed copies. It might take a little while because I don't know when I'm getting back to Europe. But I have them there in U.S. listeners. I have them on my website. They're not available until April in the U.S. So Europe was a lot was ahead. But um, I know my publisher, Kara, Amazon, Barnes and Nobles. You can get it anywhere. Oh, fantastic! And again, we'll put some <laughs> we'll put some links Perfect. in the description. Um, yes, so please, can, please, great um, holiday present. Oh, Oh, one hundred percent. Signed, signed photo books. Definitely something that's... Not just that's... mine, anybody's. I think it's, a, it's such a nice um, present <laughs> for, for all my colleagues who are between the Kickstarter campaigns and how we're all financing the books. But, oh, um, yeah. Yes. I, I love I love photography books. Um, you know, I have a whole shelf full of them. Um, and that that will definitely be one that I'll add to my, my collection. Perfect. 100%. Thank you. 100%. You know, Thank plus, you so much. You know, plus, I'm really curious to see um, to see more of the Dulux because I've seen some of it, but I, you know, but I'm, I'm curious to. Um... Yeah, I think it's fifty of them. Fantastic. 
Awesome. Thank you uh, so much. Now, before we talk about your your latest project, which strangely is different from what you've done before, um, I just want to just want to um, talk a little bit about the whole process of putting a book together. I mean, how difficult is it to to actually publish a book? Because first of all, you have to have the the content. Obviously, you have to have the photographs. But then, what, what's the process like? I think first you have to have the cards, so you have to have a PDF um, of a, of some cohesive body of work that, you know, if somebody sees this, yes, that's something people would be interested. I mean, there's a lot of publishers. There is, you have to pay for a big portion of the publication. So there's a big financial part. So when I said, you know, initially, it's like, you're so excited, you're getting published. But then it comes with the burden. So when you see all these Kickstarters um, of people, you know, raising money for the books, it's because there is no artist book, I think, at this point, or very few artist books, unless you really well establish it. Even well-established people are um, struggling with this. You have to pay in advance and then you get copies. So that's a, that's a whole other podcast to just kind of unpack how is an artist you know you always have to self-support yourself financially but then yeah then you know with the with if you have a big publisher i have a big publisher it's a pleasure to work with because then you get a book designer you you know you have a project manager you you have a lot of hand-holding you have um every choice that you make you get a bill for it like your manager will, will just stay on top of it and it's like okay if you want the red paper hmm, that's going to be extra uh, but yeah so with a big publisher it's a little easier because you have a little more hand holding and they've done it before so it comes with that sense of security on their side which eases a lot of your own insecurities of how should you do what you know they've done this before and there's different publishers so you know do your research that's really interesting actually it sounds a little bit like it, it sounds a little bit like an advance in the, in the music industry you know when um what you got yeah. in the olden days when you got signed for an album deal but actually you're paying up front for a lot of the production you know and then yeah and you, it's just, yeah that's exactly what it is and even even very well established i hear that even very well established artists have to upfront money because I guess it's not it's not a great money making business. I mean, it's a labor blow for any everybody involved. But yes, um, so that is the that's the process. But you know, shop around. There's a lot of different publishers, and then you can self publish. But I think that comes with its own own issues. Well, I think I mean the the problem with self publishing is is that on one hand you're still having to foot the bill in advance because you're self-publishing um but then you also don't have the expertise so you can't you know you don't have a book designer and you don't have you know you don't you have to hire with... that yourself exactly and then you don't have like i went to paris and i got to sign my books at paris photo because you know it's a big publisher they have the booth there and you know that comes with with uh, believe me there weren't that many that were running to my book but it still was amazing <laughs> to you know to um to sit there and and sit with 
people that you've always admired and be like, wow, like, how did I get here? Incidentally, you know, that was one of my favorite stalls um, at the um, at the photography show in Birmingham. That's that's the, the biggest uh, photography yeah, 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 show yeah. In, in the UK. Um, and it's happened in September, the end of September. Um, although that being said, actually, the next one, it will go back to, uh, I think it's March, um, not 2023, but March 2024. And then from then onwards, it'll be annually every, every March. Every March. Because it used to be in March until the pandemic hit, and then it moved to September, and and so on. But in any event, um, this one of the publishers there, uh, Rocky Nook, has a has a stand there, and it's a similar thing. So you have book signings, you know, people who to promote their books um, are there to to sign books, and that's that's a really fun. Even from a punter's perspective, that's an act. That's a really great experience because you can meet it's people. Blows your mind. Mm. It really blows your mind because you have everybody. I mean, in Paris, you had any living photographer there walking around. And it, 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 that kind of blew my mind to think that I'm, I'm there with my book and not a very big name photographer emerging, whatever it's called, (laughs) but it, it it's it's definitely a a mind blowing experience. You should definitely come to the next photography show in Birmingham. It'd be amazing. Um, I'd again, love it. it. It's in March twenty twenty four, so it's you know a year and a okay plan ahead. You know it's yeah, um, but it's a, it's a great experience. I will tell you what I love about it, um, and, and of course listeners to this podcast will will know this because I've been talking about it a lot because uh, well it's only just happened really a few months ago, um, and, and I always do an episode at the photography show. So that's that's kind of part of it because it's just super fun. But I tell you what, the greatest thing about it is, you know, it's not all the gear that you can lay hands on. It's it's not, uh, it's not all the workshops, and there are tons of workshops, and you can learn a lot. I mean, it's very educational if that's what you're after. But I tell you what, the number one reason why people should go to the photography show or to any photography type trade show like this is just simply because of the amount of people that you that you can meet the human interactions are amazing um i've made so many friends um at the photography show it's unreal because you're going and you know you have one thing in common and so you could be you know in this big world of photography but there's always something you can connect over and it's really fun and, you know, building a community and, and having other photographers in your life is is definitely a fantastic experience, a fantastic opportunity to exchange ideas or run by this is what I'm doing or whatever piece of advice you need and keep in contact. Yeah, it's, it's a photographer's often said that photography generally is quite a solitary thing to do because it's very often it's just you, you know doing it um and something like a photography show for example is a perfect opportunity to meet other like-minded nerds my wife always says you know yeah you go to the photography you can nerd out with all the other nerds yeah <laughs> no, it's perfect. It, it, it definitely and and yes and when if they have book signings go and meet the photographers i think it's really fun to talk to them and trust me any photographer will be happy to talk about their projects Oh, absolutely. And share, and share anything. I mean, it, it's not like, oh, yeah, you, thrilled to share, you know, how the project came about and, and what you do and how you do it. And, you know, if anybody's interested, yay, it's you're thrilled. Yeah. 
I need to keep an eye out for the Paris photo show because um, I, you know, I wasn't even aware that it was happening. It's just uh, I saw, I think I saw you put something on on social media, and I thought, oh, Paris photo show. I didn't realize it was on. So maybe I don't know. Maybe next year I might I might it's, do a show. I mean, from there. every photo publisher. It is truly any publisher. Like if you are looking to find a publisher for your project, go see what they're putting out there. It's very different from very one-of-a-kind art books that are hand-bound and to, you know, Kara is a much more commercial, I would say, um, just a lot more books. All of them come with their own issue. It might not be the best time to pitch your work, but I think it's a good time to look and see if your vision fits into their program. It's just simply a great. It's a great way to make connections to start with. You know whether whether yeah. you think it's the right time to pitch your idea or not. But you know the thing to remember is that you know no matter whether you want to get in touch with manufacturers, for example, or whether it's publishers or whatever it may be, the thing to remember is that there's always a human being at the other end. You know, although we we think of, you know, we think of of uh, manufacturers, for instance, as companies, there's always a human being in there. Yeah. And those sort of um, those occasions are perfect occasions to to actually get to know the humans, you know, and then and follow up, up with an email. Like I do that all the time. I mean, might not go anywhere, but it's just like, you know, I was meeting you years. I, just quick email. So easy. So that, you know, you kind of have that connection and, and build this, this, this group of, um, of professionals around you. It's hard. So it's work we don't want to do, but that's like a whole other podcast. And like, how do you, as a fine art, fine art artist or photographer, how do you build your your business? That is no business. Exactly. Yeah. Turning, <laughs> turning photography, especially fine art photography, into into something that pays the rent. You're right. Exactly. That's uh, that's. I mean, even any any commercial photography, actually, not only necessarily fi fine art. You know, it's <laughs> it's it's definitely it's a quest. It's the, the thing. I think the dream of you know spending ninety nine percent behind the camera of your time behind the camera and one percent. No. Uh, just doing the doing the admin that's that literally is a pipe dream <laughs> it's I'd be doing right? shipping and handling yeah like, like that's my you know I mean I'm, I, I that's what I do right now I'm like figuring out what's your postage how do you ship it how you know how what's the easiest way that's what you end up doing okay let's talk about your latest project because I'm really intrigued by that um so currently you're working on a portrait series so you might be able to see behind me, it is still Candid Street Portraits with the idea, and you can go on my website and I'll send you some photos, with the idea of what is it you remember when you walk on the street and encounter people in fragments and how people are so plugged up between earphones, phones, music, how you do not pay attention. And this kind of started during COVID and I didn't want to be as close. I mean, I wanted to be close, but not physically as close. So I went out with a long lens. So I think 135, whatever the long lens is. And um, I wanted to see how people respond. And no, again, nobody cared. And I'm still close. So when you look at the portraits, they are very close, but they're fragments of thought, but it's, it's, a, it's more of a, it almost is very painterly and it's about the color of the background and how it's um but it's the kind of memory you have when you get home and most of us have known of the people that you see 
So it kind of started as this this experiment. And it's nice because it's just a very, it's all color. It's very different. It's very different, but it's the same because it's still candid street photography. That's really interesting. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at the shots, uh, you know, behind you and uh, the colors, the colors are really phenomenal. Amazing. How are you achieving that look? Well, there's partially, well, it's a long lens and then I partially put sometimes something in front of it or like a cloud or whatever it is. And that kind of creates the idea of in focus, not in focus. Because some of them are very crystal clear and some of them are not, and some of them are fragments and some of them, um, I don't think I have any up. Sometimes it's a flower. Sometimes it's a banana people eat. So it's all these things. But again, I didn't want to be that close. I ended up being very close. I mean, about a foot away from people sometimes. Oh, wow. Okay. Or two. As much what, what, so sometimes the blurriness is because I'm too close. As crazy as it sounds, I mean, my focal length just does not capture that, that cannot focus that close. Are you following people around or, or are you no, so stationary? No, this is, I, I'm, I'm positioning myself. Right. And I look for kind of where people have to walk into me. There's a lot of them here are side views, but I've tried more like, how can I get eye contact from them? So that not every single one is kind of the side view. And so it evolved into how, how can I be in front and still get the kind of background and the blurriness and interesting people. What I found was that, and I think I have about 500 shots that people look beautiful, no matter who it is. There is this variety of people and I, I feel like they're all beautiful. There's like this inherent beauty when you shoot them this way that is kind of very painterly and, and not as harsh. And it kind of has a softening effect on people, even so it's in New York and people are walking by and they're annoyed. But across the board, I've not found where I, I didn't find it's, it's, it's a, it's a beautiful portrait. They might not find it as beautiful, but I feel like it, 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 it gives this, this, this very poetic view of a person on the street, but it's candid. So. So yes, it's different, but it's still the same. Yeah. Well, th I mean, th that's the interesting part of it, though, is that you know you're finding new ways of of creating, you know, a new series within within the same, in a sense, within the same context. Genre, right. In, within right. Them, yeah. Absolutely. That's that's super interesting, and of course, that's very different from um, from a lot of the other images of of yours that I've seen. Um, you know, and a lot of the, the duologue images as well. But it's so interesting because now that I have done, I've shot a lot of these, my black and white is kind of, if you go on my Instagram, I just, when I was in Paris, I, I have a, a photo of this guy with the cigarette hanging out of the mouth. In a way, it's kind of like these, just without the, but there is a little bit of blur in the background and it is a similar way of seeing people. So now I'm translating what I've learned shooting this way. I'm I'm using it in my other like other like in the more candid street shots. That's the beauty uh, with art in general is that that everything that we learn, we I always sort of compare it to like throwing throwing it into a bucket. 
you know, you learn a new thing, you throw it in the bucket, and you learn another new thing, you throw it in the bucket. And actually, you know, what happens is over time, you know, you mix all of that up, you shake it up, and then then that just becomes you, you know, and your your personal style, you know, over and time. And your bucket becomes fuller, and there's more things to, and, you know, going back to the idea of discovery, when I started this project, my initial ones were very different. They were much more fragmented. And then I, one time I shot this and I'm like, wow, I really like the way this feels. And then, you know, I'm just having this. It's like Gerrit Richter was one of my favorite um, painter. I went to the show and in a weird way, they very much have that kind of blurry feeling. So I like to look at paintings and see how it fits and how do you translate that just just to make it more interesting for myself yeah so are you planning on are you planning on releasing another another book um based on that project or what what are your plans i mean that would be a wonderful goal and yes i think that would be a goal and eventually but right now i'm you know like but i like you know, the shipping handling and the business side of this book is it has taken over. But it's nice when you go back and think, oh, I have all these other projects that I can now go back to. It's not like, oh, wow, I finished duologues, which aren't finished. I still work on that. So that's kind of continued. But that's this whole other project that I'm thrilled to continue. And right now I'm trying to figure out how I can present this because there's, for example, a page, which is not on my website, where there's nine different squares of people just in blue. So how do I present like this kind of vision in a book or in a project or if it's submitted somewhere? I, I have to say, I mean, I love a personal project. I'm a big fan of personal projects. Um, you know, as you know, it's, it, it's, it's really something I think that that can really drive you forward as a, as an artist and no matter what you do, um, it can only make you a better photographer. You know, so getting into into personal projects is, I think, it's actually really important for you know for for your own sort of self development over time. You know, and even even if it's something that you think, you know, it, it even if like for instance, if I said like, okay, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna start a project that's based around landscape photography. I don't know the first thing about landscape photography. Is the truth of it, you know, um, and anybody that that knows me will. One hundred percent attest to that. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but, but um, until you go out there and put your own spin on it, and you know maybe you take like three of your own objects and you place it into landscape, and it becomes this. Yes, I think you need to kind of experiment, and sometimes it doesn't work, and often it doesn't work. But then there will be something that is going to stick if if you keep going. Yeah, absolutely, and of course, you know that's something. Um, Something I spoke to Steve Brazel about actually not too long ago is is this thing whereby, you know, if you do put yourself into into a into a situation that you're not comfortable with, for example, and you you know you just focus on the takeaways and the things that that you learn, um, that will have an impact on your photography. So if you're, for instance, if you're um, if you're focusing on landscape photography, that will have an impact on your portraiture, for example, and vice versa, because it just adds another skill, another string to your bow, as they say. And yeah. uh, and that you know overall that will just make you a better photographer because it changes the way you see things. It might very well be that at some point you know you you connect the two. Actually, an interesting thing I tell you what in terms of landscape photography, I remember um, 
so during the pandemic, I got into shooting cars, uh, mainly because photographing people at a close distance was frowned upon, <laughs> you know, when the whole lockdown right. thing was happening. And so I thought, like, oh, it'd be, a, it'd be a fun idea to photograph cars because that's where you, you can do that, you know. Um, and I started doing that and I wasn't really happy with what I got. Um, and it was not until, you know, and I kept thinking like, oh, maybe, I don't know, is it the lens? You know, is it the focal length? Am I doing that wrong? Is it the angle? You know, is it the position? What is it? And I couldn't really put my, my finger on it. And then I spoke to somebody who is a professional car photographer. And he said, do you know what? You're approaching this in completely the wrong way. Car photography is essentially landscape photography with a car in it. And as soon as you think about it like that, you go, oh yeah, that's exactly what happens. Because usually we see like a really awesome car in a really awesome landscape. And that's really right. what makes the shot. And so I thought, well, that's that's actually really clever. And then the, the minute you start thinking like that, you kind of, you automatically start thinking like, okay, location is the number one thing I need to think about. Where am I going to shoot that car? Like, what's the location? Is it going to be a city location? Is it going to be uh, you know, a countryside location? Is it going to be a road? You know, is it going to be a really awesome looking, I don't know, uh, high-rise parking lot? You know, whatever, with like a great view over the city or something like that. Um, so once you start thinking like that, uh, and then you put the car in it, actually photographing the car then becomes relatively easy. That's sort of the right. least of your problems. And that was, that penny didn't drop until somebody said that to me. You know, it's, that was a completely, a completely. Right, because then, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking car, then I'm thinking out of a garage at night in the fog with the light on. I mean, you're stored. I mean, it could exactly. be a car photo where it's kind of, yes, you're getting the details or you're telling a story with the car. Yeah, exactly. So the car becomes the actor. Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah, it's it's like it's like doing a, a portrait, you know, uh, an on-location portrait, but instead of putting a human in it, you put a car in it. And that's, yeah. you know, and that's that's the thing. They still have to speak. It, it still has to speak to something. Yeah, and it has to, as you say, it still has to say, it uh, has to tell a story. <laughs> it's hard. And, and play part, yeah. But all of it is hard. But, you know, unless you, you show this to somebody or unless you do it and unless you discover and say, you know, why isn't this working? You'll never get to the next level. You have to start somewhere. And then you make the discovery of, there's this part that I really like. Let me write this down or let me, you know, print this or let me hold on to this somewhere. And then somewhere later, you you still use that. Yeah. And then, in, you know, a whole project grows from that. That's exactly it. And as I always say, done is better than perfect. That's that's probably one of the yeah. one of the things I love the most because it's absolutely true. You just have to get something done. You have to fail so many times, I think, uh, in order to succeed. You know, sometimes we're lucky and we... We take a shot and we kind of go, oh, wow, this is really awesome. And that can be very motivational. But the reality, I think, most of the time is, and this is, it kind of brings us back full circle, back to street photography. What's really important to fail, because every time you fail, you learn something from it. And then as you accumulate the takeaways, that's when you start growing as a as a photographer and you get better. I think in street photography, and we, I think we're talking about it, like if you have one or two or three really good photos a year, consider yourself lucky because they're so hard yeah it's exactly i mean that's that's exactly my experience and it can be frustrating at first when you're not used to it like for instance <laughs> you know it's true i mean in um in 
in the three heads in a row project, um, I don't actually shoot very much. And and I know I've done um, I've I've done the whole thing as a live shoot in front in front of an audience, for example. One of the things I think that, that most people found um surprising is that I actually I don't take that many photos because you know, so what I would do is I would take a shot, I would reference that on the screen, and then I would I would think, okay, cool, now I want you know I want I want the model to or the subject to turn ahead like this, move the hand like that, um, and I put things in place. Then I take another shot and I look at that and I go, okay, well now I just need to fix this and this and this. And so I only take a shot when I think I'm getting closer to what I want to see. So actually, instead of taking hundreds of shots, I might only take ten, and within these ten, I might have I might have the final thing. You know, I, I sort of I get closer to it that way. Um, you know, so my failure rate in that respect isn't that high. That's, but it's also something that's developed over time because I've been doing this, this project for um, a few years and, and I've, I've had so many people in front of, in front of the camera that I've sort of gotten to that point where. Right. And you know, you're lighting, you know, like how you want to set this up. Like there's certain set pieces. Yes, exactly. And then you can just focus on the person and on posing and you know, the, the, the parts that make the photo. But you need to have all the other pieces, and you needed to learn that. Yes, absolutely. And you know, over time, I mean, I've I've tried so many different things, um, and I I failed in many aspects. And actually, I've changed a lot of the the details in that as well. So you know, for example, um, when I first started shooting it, I I started shooting it with a, it was a speed light and a pop up um, softbox. You know, like a super cheap twenty bucks pop up type of a thing worked perfectly fine um, and then I got tired of changing out the batteries and the speed light so I thought okay well I need a studio strobe to do that you know and then then need the, to plug that in yeah and then you know the and then the modifier didn't fit on the on the on the strobe and then I had to get and I got an octobox and I shot with that for a little while and then at some point I thought the octobox is quite big and I kind of thought well now I don't have a lot of space because my shooting space is is you know dimensionally challenged let's say um and so I thought, well, if I use a beauty dish, that's it's shallower, so I have more space. So actually, I can see the other person better, and you know, I don't have this this soft box between right to, to duck around. Yeah, exactly. So I kind of yeah, you know, I figured I figured out a way to make that work. Um, and so, and 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 every time I change something, I actually try to do to do it in a way that I, I keep the essence of what makes that that look. Um, so I think to maybe to the untrained eye, you might look through that series and not necessarily realize that these changes have taken place. But I think for me, I can see that it's like an evolution throughout the whole thing. Um, but there was a lot of there was a lot of failure involved. But the you know the disadvantage that 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 brings with it is um, I, I'm now at a point where I expect to get the final shot within ten shots, mm. you know, or, or let's say twenty, you know, but in a very very short amount of time. So now, you know, I have to get myself back to the point where I can go out and shoot some street photography and, and just accept the fact that I might come home with a thousand photos and none of them is a keeper. <laughs> you know, it's like the opposite end of the spectrum. Like, oh, but... It keeps you humble. Yeah, it keeps you humble. But also, but it's it's um, I, it's important. I feel it's important um, to do that because it just... It just pulls you out of of your comfort zone, 
I think it's the best way of putting it. And it's exciting. I, mm. I think it's exciting to try new things and learn new things and keep you motivated. I think if you do the same thing, it, it, and also, right, with the street photography, there might be something that triggers, you know, a new idea and you said, oh, I have people coming in. Let me try at the end of the session something totally different. You know, Absolutely. so I have these people, so I might as well just try something else. It could be fun. Yeah, and they're absolutely. there. They don't mind. Exactly, and it's you know it's a great way to explore, um, to explore things. That's another thing actually I really loved about um going into London. I think Nick and Nick and I went to um, where did we go? We went to Brighton, uh, one time to do some street photography, and then we went to London, um, as well. The, the thing I really loved about it was uh, it's a really great opportunity to explore your city a little bit and get to know yeah new corners, you know, um, and I think that it was sort of a mix between researching some of these sort of insta-famous locations, you know, and you kind of go, oh, that's a cool location. Like, lots of people take photos there, but it's a cool place, so I want to see where that is. Of course, no idea. Um, and then at the same time, also, just to walk around and to to discover, you know, places. So, if, so I was just talking and a friend, and she said she took a, um, a workshop with Steve McCurry, and they asked her, like, how do you, you know, approach if you go to a city? And he says, you know, I start at a big public space like whatever it is with lots of tourists and then I wander off and that's what I do you know you kind of find your big open space your light and then you know off you go and and you explore off the main main square and I think that's how we all should work it or you know it's fun it's exploring and yes and you get to know a city in a different way and there's always things to see oh absolutely Absolutely. So, so anyway. I can't wait when you go to London. <laughs> well, I'm going to take your challenge. So <laughs> that's going to happen, and uh, that you know we'll we'll talk again once once I've once I've managed to um to uh, to fulfill that challenge. It's like <laughs> I feel like you need to send me a photo of the of the transition space that you're going to find and and shoot. Oh, absolutely. You'll yeah. have to send me an iPhone shot, and I'll be like, ah, no. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Get closer. Exactly. I said, no, get closer. You're 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 being wimpy about this. Absolutely. Nobody's gonna care. Absolutely. Be brave. One hundred percent. Well, we're still, you know, I I tell you, one day we we are gonna have to do uh, an episode um, of street photography together, like somewhere either in New York City or I know, I know, or, I know. It'll be so fun. That'd be hilarious. Um, yep. Nina, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast <laughs> again. Um, <laughs> Thank and I hope, you so much. You know, and I hope we'll obviously we'll we'll, we'll talk again in the future. Um, it's been as always super educational um and uh, just as a reminder if you are if you're interested in uh Anita's latest book duologues um the the link to where you can get hold of that is going to be in the description below um it's a really fantastic series um i have to say i love photo books um uh, you know but this one is this one is special because of as we've talked about because of the 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 story element in those in those images so it's a perfect perfect christmas present agreed <laughs> please <laughs> great so again Nina, thank you very much for for being on the show um, thank and, you as always such and, a pleasure fantastic. and fun awesome now remember if you are listening to the audio version of this podcast just be reminded that there's a fully technicolored version over on youtube um and once you're there just hit that subscribe button you know click the like um do the like and subscribe and whatever youtube is telling you to do obviously, um, because it would really help us out. If you are, however, 
insisting on listening to the audio version of this um, and you're listening on Apple Podcasts, um, you can leave us a little review, leave us a little uh, five-star rating. That would be very much appreciated because it really does help us being found in the great ocean of podcasts that's out there. Anyway, that being said, this was uh, episode 132 of the Camera Shake Podcast, and we shall see you again next Thursday. Thank you.